Campfire Classics is a classic literature podcast. However, your hosts will occasionally use not-so-classy language and immature humor to describe very mature situations. As such, listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Ken Sandberg. And I'm Joran Hagens. Welcome to Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. Listeners will notice that we have a new voice on the podcast this week. Hello, quick-eared hey. listeners. <laughs> uh, so, uh, once again, we've hit a week where Heather is unavailable. She's working on Footloose and hopefully doing good work out there. But uh, Torin has been kind enough to step in and um, play guinea pig and do, <laughs> do some cold reading. I've never been on a podcast before, <laughs> but I do know how to read. Yes, which is good. That's really the only skill that is required. <laughs> it helps if you can also do funny voices. We I have, can do funny voices. We have discovered that stupid voices go over very well. Okay, good to yeah. know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Torin and I met working on Pride and Prejudice just a couple of months ago, and uh, I'm now in Flat Rock. What town are we actually in? Flat Rock, North Carolina. We're in Flat Rock, North yes. Carolina. All right. At the Flat Rock Playhouse, where you're working on a show. Yes. It's a Flat Rock Playhouse Christmas, playing through December 19th. 2021. It's really fun. We're having a good time. Awesome. Come, come check it out if you have the chance. Uh, so what we do on this podcast for Torin, who's never done this before, and for our new listeners is we cold read short stories. Uh, we always choose stories that are in the public domain because getting sued by authors and their estate is a really crappy business model. Um, and, uh, beforehand we try to do a little bit of fun facts. Uh, however, before I jump into the fun facts, uh, I, I kind of want to hear a little bit from Torin because I have very intentionally, because of your fairy hair business, chosen a pair of fairy tales that you're going to be reading. Oh, cool. Um, and since it, it thematically applies, would you mind telling the listeners a little bit about that? And then you can go ahead and do some shameless self-promotion if you want. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so I have a, well, if you don't know what fairy hair is, you need to just go to Instagram and find my page, which is fairy hair NYC. Very easy to find. There will yeah. be links to that in the little blurb with the um with this episode. And there and fairy hair are these like little sparkly, almost like tinsel, but better and thinner and not tinsel. Um, so don't call it tinsel. Um, that you tie into your hair. I tie into people's hair, and um, and it just kind of makes you glitter all the time, which is really fun. So if you like to sparkle or glitter, um, fairy hair is where it, where you want to be it's what you want to have and I do a lot of like kids parties which is really fun so like talking to kids about like being a fairy and I'm half fairy uh, uh yes my mom was a fairy but my dad was not a fairy so therefore I can't do all the fairy things like I cannot fly you can't fly yes you can't, you also can't. I live in New York City and that would freak out the people you don't want to draw too much attention to yourself exactly panic the masses in Times Square start a stampede yeah 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 uh, can't sprinkle fairy dust and take people to Neverland. Right. But I do sprinkle fairy dust, but you can't like it. You, you can make a wish on it, but it does not like make you like turn into a tiny, tiny, tiny fairy or be able to like do like, you know, magical things. But maybe your wish will come true. Lovely. 
I like that. So for our listeners who aren't in New York City, is there a way they can get a hold of your stuff? Yes, I sell it online. So if you want to learn how to tie your own fairy hair, it is difficult. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> so if you have good hands, um, uh, www.fairyhairnyc.com. I have a little online store and some tutorial videos too. Awesome. All right. Uh, well, thank you for that. And do check that out. Uh, Torin's head is full of little glittery strands right now, and it's delightful. We're actually recording in person, something I haven't done in a while. Most of my recordings recently have been through Zoom. It's so nice to be doing this with a person in, in, in the meat space, yes. in the human space too. That's great. Um, but as I said, we read short stories and I um, like to give a little bit of background first. So... So this week, as I said, uh, we'll be reading a couple of uh, fairy tales from L. Frank Baum's short story collection, American Fairy Tales. Regular listeners will know that we've covered Mr. Baum in a couple of previous episodes, and I'll put links to that in the episode blurb as well, so you can go back and listen to a full bio. Um, But the short version of, of who he is is that Baum... Uh, failed at a whole lot of things before finding success as an author of the Wizard of Oz stories. Um, When he was young, for example, his parents sent him to military school and he dropped out because it gave him panic attacks and a heart defect. Yeah, yeah. That's who you want, protecting your country. Yeah. People with panic attacks. People with panic attacks. Thank you for your service, all of you who don't have panic attacks. And if you do have panic attacks and you're in the military... We support you. More power to you, really, if you're suffering through that. (laughs) Um, So as sort of by way of an apology, his parents help him set up a theater company. Like, sorry, we sent you off to military school. Here's a theater you can run, which he eventually burned down. (laughs) Uh, He then moved out to the Midwest in South Dakota. He opened up a general store called Bomb's Bazaar, which went out of business because he had a bad habit of just giving his stuff away to people who couldn't afford it. And then he became the editor of a newspaper that went under within months of his taking over. Okay, yeah. (laughs) So this is a guy who really had trouble finding his niche, but then when he started writing, he did finally hit it big with the Oz stories. Uh, His final Oz book, Glinda of Oz, was published in 1920 after his death. The Oz series was continued long after his death, though, by other authors, notably Ruth Plumley Thompson, who wrote an additional 21 Oz books. In total, there are over 40 novels and almost as many short stories in the official Oz canon. Um, his fairy tales are not directly connected to Oz, but they do have a very similar feel. Um, but because this is sort of fairy tale themed, I also did a quick little research into where fairy tales come from, because I thought that might be interesting. Um, we all know that fairy tales generally start once upon a time. That is apparently a loose translation of how German fairy tales used to start, which uh, the literal translation of that is in the old times when wishing was still effective. Oh, I like that better. I'm not going to lie. It's kind of cute, right? Yes. In the old times when wishing was still effective. Except there's, there's a little sense of like, wait, you mean it doesn't work anymore? That's true. <laughs> that makes me kind of sad. Fairy tales, it seems, were actually originally intended for adults not for children. That's why they're so bloody. Exactly. Yeah. They were stories of like adventure and it was only in the 19th century that this idea of them being children's stories came about. But yeah, it's why like the grim fairy tales are so fucked up. I know. Like the cutting off the the heel and the blood and the shoe and. Yeah. It's a mess. I mean, even some fairy tales today are still kind of traumatizing. 
Um, like uh, the fact that every fairy tale seems to feature a mother who is either dead or an evil witch. Yes. Um, I tried to figure out what that was all about, but no one seems to know. The consensus seems to be like the literary historical consensus seems to be like, yeah, that's fucked up. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Albert Einstein once said, if you want your children to be intelligent, read them fairy tales. If you want them to be more intelligent, read them more fairy tales. (laughs) Anyway, today you will be reading two short fairy tales from American Fairy Tales by L. Frank Baum. The first is called The King of the Polar Bears, and the second is called The Capture of Father Time. Right. So now we're going to start our little fire in our minds with a little... L. Frank Baum? Yes. L. Frank Baum. I always say Frank L. I know it's L. Frank. It's L. Frank because um, uh, his first name was actually Lyman. Oh. He was named after an uncle, Mm -hmm. and he hated it. People called him Lyman as a child, and he despised it. And so when he became an adult, he was like, nope, I'm Frank now. L. Frank, I'll keep that, but I'm French. Okay, good good to know. All the things. Okay. The King of the Polar Bears by L. Frank Baum. The King of the Polar Bears lived among the icebergs in the far north country. He was old and monstrous big. He was wise and friendly to all who knew him. His body was thickly covered with long white hair that glistened like silver under the rays of the midnight sun. He sounds so snuggly. I know, and warm. I want to give him a hug. Yes, yes, although his claws were strong and sharp. That's good. Well, I mean, it's purposeful. That he might walk safely over the smooth ice or grasp and tear the fishes and seals upon which he fed. Okay. Yes. There's some of that gruesomeness creeping in. (laughs) The seals were afraid when he drew near and tried to avoid him, but the gulls, both white and gray, loved him because he left the remnants of his feast for them to devour. All right, so if you're going to horribly murder cute baby seals, you can at least share the wealth. Leave leave their scraps behind for the birds. I hate seagulls. Have you ever had a seagull, like, snatch a french fry right out of your hand? Not right out of my hand. I have once... Uh, I was sitting, I was at the beach. I had my snacks ready to go in the bag, sitting at the beach, getting my stuff ready, look over, and there is a seagull sitting on my backpack, <laughs> pulling out the like bags of chips. Mm-hmm. They don't yeah. even have to smell real food. I hate it's seagulls. Chips wrapped in plastic. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Dirty little bastards. I hate them. Often his subjects, the polar bears, came to him for advice when ill or in trouble but they wisely kept away from his hunting grounds, lest they might interfere with his sport and arouse his anger. Uh Mm Uh-oh. He's sounding less and less snugly. I know. The wolves, who sometimes came from as far north as the icebergs, whispered among themselves that the king of the polar bears was either a magician or under the protection of a powerful fairy, for no earthly thing seemed able to harm him. He never failed to secure plenty of food, and he grew bigger and stronger day by day and year by year. That's being at the top of the food chain. Yep. Yes. That's what that is. Plus, if he's, I mean, it sounds like your mom is protecting him. Yes. Yes. Your mom, the powerful fairy. Yes, she is. <laughs> Yet the time came when this monarch of the north met man and his wisdom failed him. Mm-hmm. Dun, dun, dun. He came out of his cave among the icebergs one day and saw a boat moving through the strip of water which had been uncovered by the shifting of the summer ice. In the boat were men, 
this is, and we all go downhill from here. Yep, this is not going to go. Yes. <laughs> the great bear had never seen such creatures before and therefore advanced toward the boat, sniffing the strange scent with aroused curiosity and wondering whether he might take them for friends or foes, food or carrion. When the king came near the water's edge, a man stood up on the boat and with a queer instrument made a loud bang. The polar bear felt a shock. His brain became numb. Oh, his thoughts deserted him. His great limbs shook and gave way beneath him, and his body fell heavily upon the hard ice. Oh, God. No! That was all he remembered for a time, okay? Oh, okay. I was like, and story is (laughs) over. He's dead. Oh, stupid human. Food. Definitely food. When he awoke, he was smarting with pain on every inch of his bulk. For the men had cut away his hide. Oh my God, this is horrific. <laughs> okay, this is of the um, uh, terrible fairy tale. Yeah, yeah. This is this is one of the, the of the, the grim ilk. Yes. And how is he alive through all of this? Okay. Well, he's still being protected by the magical fairy. That's true. Yes. For the men had cut away his hide with its glorious white hair and carried it with them to a distant ship. Above him circled thousands of his friends, the Gauls, wondering if their benefactor were really dead and it was proper to eat him. Oh, my God. (laughs) It's like how cats will. Yes. This is horrible. Like, I'm just imagining this, like, flesh bear now with no fur on it. A lot. Just the muscles. Like, you know, oh, this is disgusting. Have you ever seen those images of bears that don't have any hair? Like they've they've been either either they've been shaved or they have like bear alopecia. Oh no! Bald bears. They look disturbingly like movie versions of werewolves. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because like they they lose all of the roundness and uh-huh. the cute cuddliness, and they're just these weird sinewy, long snouted. Terrifying. Creepy. Yeah. But when they saw him raise his head and groan and tremble, they knew he still lived. And one of them said to his comrades. The wolves are right. The king is a great magician, for even men cannot kill him. But he suffers for lack of covering. Let us repay his kindness to us by each giving him as many feathers as we can spare. Hmm. This idea pleased the gulls. One after another, they plucked with their beaks their softest feathers from under their wings, and flying down, dropped them gently upon the body of the king of the polar bears. Then they called to him in a chorus, Courage, friend! Our feathers are as soft and beautiful as your own shaggy hair. They will guard you from the cold winds and warm you while you sleep. Have courage, then, and live! Aw, this is why it's good to be nice to people. I know. And you know, uh, isn't our polar bears, like, their fur isn't actually white? Isn't that that what it is? It's clear. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So interesting. I'm just imagining this, like, naked bear. But now he's got gall feathers on him. That's going to be even creepier looking. It's a bear covered in feathers. It's <laughs> like some Dungeons and Dragons monster <laughs> shit. And the king of the polar bears had courage to bear his pain and lived and was strong again. The feathers grew as they had grown upon the bodies of the birds and covered him as his own hair had done. Mostly they were pure white in color, but some from the gray gulls gave his majesty a slight mottled appearance. The rest of that summer and all through the six months of night, the king left his icy cavern only to fish or catch seals for food. He felt no shame at his feathery covering, but it was still strange to him, and he avoided meeting any of his brother bears. you got to have the right clothes, otherwise you're going to get shunned by your... Yeah. Well, plus he's going all salt and pepper now, which is... 
that's true. Yeah, and it's like on Wednesdays we wear white, or not pink. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's just, well. He also he just he doesn't want to he doesn't want to make them jealous. He's just he's become a silver fox now. Is yeah. the thing. And yeah. Speaking of silver fox, during his, this period of retirement. He thought much of the men who had harmed him and remembered the way they had made the great bang. And he decided it was best to keep away from such fierce creatures. Thus, he added to his store of wisdom. When the moon fell away from the sky and the sun came to make the icebergs glitter with the gorgeous tintings of the rainbow, two of the polar bears arrived at the king's cavern to ask his advice about the hunting season. But when they saw his great body covered with feathers instead of hair, they began to laugh. And one said, Our mighty king has become a bird. Whoever before heard of a feathered polar bear? What a dick. Well, just wait, it's coming. Then the king gave way to wrath. He advanced upon them with deep growls and stately tread, and with one blow of his monstrous paw, stretched the mocker lifeless at his feet. Dead bear. <laughs> Don't piss off the king. I know, right? The other ran away to his fellows and carried the news of the king's strange appearance. The result was a meeting of all the polar bears upon a broad field of ice where they talked gravely of the remarkable change that had come upon their monarch. He is, in reality, no longer a bear, said one, nor can he justly be called a bird. But he is half bird and half bear, and so unfitted to remain our king. Deposed. Deposed. Well, deposed because they see him as not quite fitting in anymore. I guess so. That sucks. I know. And it's also just like, uh, what's the emperor? Ha- ha- the emperor with no clothes, right? It almost the emperor like, the emperor's new clothes. No, yes, but this emperor, this king has the wrong clothes. Yeah. Such a shame. Hmm. Then who shall take his place? Asked another. He who can fight the bird bear and overcome him, answered an aged member of the group. Only the strongest is fit to rule our race. Well, he already knocked one dead. Yeah, I'm thinking I'm not going to go fight the bird bear. No, I know. So then he's going to be king. There was silence for a time, but at length, a great bear moved to the front and said, I will fight him. I, woof, the strongest of our race, and I will be king of the polar bears. His name is Woof. Woof. Not wolf, it's woof. Woof. The other's dude, not. Dude, that's not a super intimidating name. No. Woof. Woof. Maybe I, I almost gave him a, um, like a high voice <laughs> before oh, I knew his. I'll do it. I will fight him. I will the strongest of our race, and I will be king of the polar bears. That's it. That's the one. Okay, that's it. His... <laughs> Good. <laughs> that's Woof's voice from now on. <laughs> The others nodded assent and dispatched a messenger to the king to say he must fight the great wolf and master him or resign his sovereignty. For a bear with feathers, added the messenger, is no bear at all, and the king we obey must resemble the rest of us. Oh, so there's the lesson. We don't all need to look alike. Yeah, yeah, this is this is a not-so-thinly-veiled, like, racism parable. Oh, uh, yeah, just a little bit. I wear feathers because it pleases me, growled the king. Am I not a great magician? But I will fight nevertheless, and if Wolf masters me, he shall be king in my stead. Then he visited his friends the gulls, who were even then feasting upon a dead bear and told... Because <laughs> <laughs> it was such a big bear that they're still feasting still, on him still, after yeah. the meeting. Yes. 
and told him of the coming battle. I shall conquer, he said proudly, yet my people are in the right, for only a hairy one like themselves can hope to command their obedience. Yes, gotta be a hairy one. The Queen Gull said, I met an eagle yesterday, which had made its escape from a big city of men, and the eagle told me he had seen a monstrous polar bear skin thrown over the back of a carriage that rolled along the street. That skin must have been yours, O king. And if you wish, I will send a hundred of my gulls to the city to bring it back to you. I like that this gull is clearly his hairdresser. Yes. <laughs> She's the queen. Let them go, said the king gruffly. And the hundred gulls were soon flying rapidly southward. That's like my horrible nightmare. I won't go to Venice because I don't like the pigeons. The pigeons. Can you imagine a hundred gulls, seagulls flying in formation towards you? It would be terrifying. Terrifying. I would want an umbrella, first of all, because you can get pooped That's on. That's my biggest fear. Really going to get pooped on. Mm -hmm. Have you seen the video, oh my God, of the, um, it's two girls on, they're in the front seat of a, uh, uh, some sort of roller coaster oh, oh, or something. No. And it's, it's one of the ones where there's a video camera to catch the expressions the oh entire God. time. And they start going and the girl on the right starts screaming and the girl on the left starts screaming very briefly. And then a seagull <laughs> splats right into her chest. Oh and my all of God. the scream is very different. Oh, Just, no. ah, oh my God, that's ah, perfect. And after, it's probably only like four or five seconds, uh -huh. but I'm sure it felt like an eternity to her. She like peels this oh bird off of her and it flies off in the distance. That's horrific. But, Oh, the video's hilarious. Oh, my God. No. That's oh, just... we're going to track that down. I'm going to show that to you later. Terrifying. <laughs> Terrifying. For three days, they flew straight as an arrow until they came to scattered houses, to villages, and to cities. Then their search began. The gulls were brave and cunning and wise. Upon the fourth day, they reached the great metropolis and hovered over the streets until a carriage rolled along with a great white bear robe thrown over the back seat. Then the birds swooped down, the whole hundred of them, and seizing the skin in the, their beaks, flew quickly away. They were late. <laughs> well, too late. The king's great battle was upon the seventh day, and they must fly swiftly to reach the polar regions by that time. Meanwhile, the bird bear was preparing for his fight. He sharpened his claws in the small crevices of the ice. He caught a seal and tested his big yellow teeth by crunching its bones between them. And the queen gull set her band to pluming the king's bear's feathers until they lay smoothly upon his body. She is his hairdresser. Yeah. The voice was a good choice. Yes. <laughs> but every day they cast anxious glances into the southern sky, watching for the hundred gulls to bring back the king's own skin. The seventh day came, and all the polar bears in that region gathered around the king's cavern. Among them was Woof, strong and confident of his success. The bird bear's feathers will fly fast enough when I get my claws upon him, he boasted. I don't yeah. think that's the same voice, but that's all right. It's all right. You, and the you others get him, Woof. <laughs> yes. And the others laughed and encouraged him. We'll do it again. Wait. But what did I do last I feel like he was sort of up okay. here. Okay, uh, little Mike Tyson. Okay, Mike Tyson. The bird bear's feathers will fly fast enough when I get my claws <laughs> upon him, he boasted. All right. Oh, I can't do Mike Tyson. Shifting, shifting accents are a hallmark of this podcast. Yeah, okay, good. <laughs> and the others laughed and encouraged him. The king was disappointed at not having recovered his skin, but he resolved to fight bravely without it. He advanced from the opening of his cavern with a proud and kingly bearing. 
And when he faced his enemy, he gave so terrible a growl that Woof's heart stopped beating for a moment. And he began to realize that a fight with the wise and mighty king of his race was no laughing matter. After exchanging one or two heavy blows with his foe, Woof's courage returned, and he determined to dishearten his adversary by bluster. Come nearer, bird bear, he cried. Come nearer that I may pluck your plumage. <laughs> Come on, bear. Come on, bird bear. Oh, my God, hysterical. The defiance. You've really got to work on your trash talk, man. Come <laughs> uh, on, pluck your plumage. Uh, the defiance filled the king with rage. He ruffled his feathers as a bird does till he appeared to be twice his actual size. And then he strode forward and struck Woof so powerful a blow that his skull cracked like an eggshell and he fell prone upon the ground. Oh. Yeah. While the assembled bears stood looking with fear and wonder at their fallen champion, the sky became darkened and hundred gulls flew down from above and dripped upon the king's body a skin covered with pure white hair that glittered like the sun in the sun like silver. And behold, the bears saw before them the well-known form of their wise and respected master. And with one accord, they bowed their shaggy heads in homage to the mighty king of the polar bears. Now there is a little afternote. Yes, the the stories in this this book, he likes to make it very clear what the moral is supposed to be. All right. So the moral of the story is this story teaches us that true dignity and courage depend not upon outward appearance, but come rather from within. Also, that brag and bluster are poor weapons to carry into battle. God damn right. Of course, I feel like that lesson would have come across better if he had like won the battle and then they had accepted him with all of his feathers. Right. He didn't need the, <laughs> he didn't need the skin. I no, feel they like all, they all, they all bow when he gets his skin right. back. Not when he cracks wolf. I know. Wolf, the little Ponzi little, boxer. Little bitch. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. I think that would be, he didn't need the, he didn't, he didn't need the skin. Yeah. Come on bomb. Yeah. I'm going to rewrite your story for you. Oh, and then they said, you know what? Can we all have some feathers? Yeah. That would have been. And then from then on, all polar bears have a little gray in them for the birds or something like that. Yeah, I like that. I thought that would be a tough one to rationalize with reality because not all polar bears have gray. That's true. But. And that's why that's polar bears have black noses. Yeah. I don't know. Or, and that's why if you ever see a bear covered in feathers, run the hell away. And that's why if you see any bear ever, you run the hell away. The king of the polar bears has told them, nah, these people are bad news. Yes. You turn them into food before they can skin you. Yes. Oh my God, that's terrific. So that was the king of the polar bears, listeners. What did you think? Would you rewrite it? Or did you like how it ended? Inquiring minds want to know. I know, I'd be curious. I suppose we could... Start a second fire. Because it's getting a little chilly and I want to warm up again. Get some hot cocoa, a little cream on top. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's December 1st. It is. Time. Ooh, it is. This is the first episode of December. It is definitely hot chocolate weather. Yes. Yes. With like little crunched up peppermint sprinkles on top. Mmm, delicious. I, I like, I like very 
frou-frou hot drinks. <laughs> the whipped cream, all the stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Give it to me. It, mm-hmm. it should it should taste like it's going to give me diabetes. <laughs> yeah. I approve. All right. The Capture of Father Time by L. Frank Baum. Jim was the son of a cowboy and lived on the broad plains of Arizona. Well, that's a real different... Yes, totally different tone. <laughs> His father had trained him to lasso a bronco or a young bull with perfect accuracy. And had Jim possessed the strength to back up his skill, he would have been as good as a cowboy as any in all Arizona. Okay, so he has no strength. So no strength. Jim's a wuss. No, we're not going to judge him. He might just, he, I mean, he's probably modeled after L. Frank Baum, who couldn't hack it in the military because he had a weak heart. Also, he's 12. When he was 12 years old, he made his first visit to the east where Uncle Charles, his father's brother, lived. Of course, Jim took his lasso with him, for he was proud of his skill in casting it and wanted to show his cousins what a cowboy could do. At first, the city boys and girls were much interested in watching Jim lasso posts and and fence pickets. Fence pickets. (laughs) Lasso posts and fence pickets. I like fence pickets. Yeah, fence pickets. What's a fence picket? I think it's some sort of um, sewer-dwelling rodent. Oh, I was going to say a uh, a fence picket is a, a currency uh, magical currency. Oh, I like that. And he's he's lassoing it. Some money in the streets of New York. He's uh, he's pickpocketing with his lasso. Yes. The, the pence pickets. Yes. Yes. At first, the city boys and girls were much interested in watching Jim lasso posts and fence pickets, but they soon tired of it, and even Jim decided it was not the right sort of sport for cities. But one day, the butcher asked Jim to ride one of his horses into the country to a pasture that had been engaged, and Jim eagerly consented. A pasture that had been engaged? Okay, I don't really understand Uh, that. They rented um, it? Yeah, yeah, I would guess. It's ride him out. I have this pasture that I've engaged engaged for the weekend or whatever. Maybe they took the horse out there. Okay. Maybe he was just really attracted to this pasture and proposed and... Uh, Although, did not say that, that... the pasture was engaged to the butcher or Jim. Or the horse. Maybe to a tree it was engaged. Uh, well, that's lovely. So he's going out to perform a ceremony, marriage ceremony between this tree and this pasture. Yes, because Jim eagerly consented. Consent is important. <laughs> Even when you're a pasture. <laughs> <laughs> he had been longing for a horseback ride and to make it seem like old times, he took his lasso with him. He rode through the streets demurely enough, but upon reaching the open country roads, his spirits broke forth into wild jubilation, and urging the butcher's horse to full gallop, he dashed away in true cowboy fashion. Then he wanted to. Then he wanted still more liberty, and letting down the bars that led into a big field, he began riding over the meadow and throwing his lasso at imaginary cattle, while he yelled and whooped to his heart's content. <laughs> Suddenly, on making a long cast with his lasso, the loop caught upon something and rested about three feet from the ground, while the rope drew taut and nearly pulled Jim from his horse. This was unexpected. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I caught the invisible cow. Or maybe father. Or maybe Maybe father time. Oh. This was unexpected. More than that, it was wonderful, for the field seemed bare of even a stump. Jim's eyes grew big with amazement, but he knew he had caught something when a voice cried out, Here, let go! Let go, I say! Can't you see what you've done? (laughs) 
No, Jim couldn't see, <laughs> nor did he intend to let go until he found out what was holding the loop of the lasso. So he resorted to an old trick his father had taught him and, putting the butcher's horse to a run, began riding in a circle around the spot where his lasso had caught. As he thus drew nearer and nearer his quarry, he saw the rope coil up, yet it looked to be coiling over nothing but air. One end of the lasso was made fast to a ring in the saddle, and when the rope was almost wound up and the horse began to pull away and snort with fear, Jim dismounted. Holding the reins of the bridle in one hand, he followed the rope and an instant later saw an old man caught fast in the coil of the lasso. His head was bald and uncovered, but long white whiskers grew down to his waist. About his body was thrown a loose robe of fine white linen. One hand, he in one hand, he bore a great sky scythe, 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 right? That's how it's pronounced. Scythe. Oh, like scythe. the like the, a scythe. Yeah, the, like a wheat. Chopping thing. down the wheat yes. thing. Yeah, or scythe. like the um, half of the communist symbol. Yes. In one hand, he bore a great scythe and began, and beneath the other arm, he carried an hourglass. Yes. Well, blah, 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 blah. reading cold. <laughs> <laughs> I was doing so good. So this is totally um, acceptable. Oh yeah. Tripping over words is half the fun. Um, it's amazing to me how many people, uh, as I am learning doing this now with a handful of co-hosts, um, you mess something up and the, the immediate response is a scat solo. Where was I? Yeah. You just got to get out the, get out the, the, the vocal yes. jitters. Yes. Or, or like the, um, trippy, you trip over your tongue. If you're tripping over it, you need to just like loosen it up a little bit. And nonsense helps. Yeah, I think. So, yeah. Yes. Oh, if you could see Ken's face right now. Right. And we're not even video recording this one, so you never will. <laughs> okay. Uh, while Jim gazed wonderingly upon him, this venerable old man spoke in an angry voice. Now then, get that rope off as fast as you can. You've brought everything on earth to a standstill by your foolishness. Well, what are you staring at? Don't you know who I am? Some old-timey prospector? No, said Jim stupidly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm time. Father time. Yes, he's very crotchety. Yep. Now make haste and set me free if you want the world to run properly. And he rhymes, too. How did I happen to catch you, said, asked Jim without making a move to release his captive. I don't know. I've never been caught before, growled Father Time. But I suppose it was because you were foolishly throwing your lasso at nothing. I didn't see you, said Jim. Of course you didn't. I'm invisible to the eyes of human beings unless they get within three feet of me. And I take care to keep more than that distance away from them. That's why I was crossing this field where I supposed no one would be. And I should have been perfectly safe had it not been for your beastly lasso. Now then, he added crossly, are you going to get that rope off? <laughs> Why should I, asked Jim. <laughs> Good for you, kid. Bargain. Oh, Jim. Because everything in the world stopped moving the moment you caught me. I don't suppose you want to make an end of all business and pleasure and war and love and misery and ambition and everything else, do you? 
Not a watch has ticked since you tied me up here like a mummy. But Jim kept moving. Uh, interesting, yes. Huh. Maybe because he was connected to time? Maybe, through the quite rope? possibly. Quite possibly. Jim laughed. <laughs> that's not in there. Just add that. I like that. Yes. Improvisation. Yes. That's those that's those mad skills we pay the big bucks for. Yes. <laughs> I'm an equity I'm an equity actor. Um, it really was funny to see the old man wound round and round with coils of rope from his knees up to his chin. It'll do you good to rest, said the boy. From all I've heard, you lead a rather busy life. Indeed I do, replied Father Time with a sigh. I'm doing Kamchatka this very minute. Uh, Kamchatka. Oh, Kamchatka. do in Kamchatka. Do in, yes. So Kamchatka is a place, I believe. Yeah. Where's Kamchatka? Kamchatka is a peninsula in Russia. Apparently... They're well known for their vodka. Oh, well, yes. So we know uh, why Father Time's going there. Uh, I'll, I'll go with him. Okay. Okay, well then. I'm doing Kamchatka. That's, that's the <laughs> Russian accent, the pronunciation. This very minute. And to think one small boy is upsetting all my regular habits. Too bad, said Jim with a grin. <laughs> but since the world has stopped anyhow, it won't matter if it takes a little longer recess. As soon as I let you go, time will fly again. Where are your wings? I haven't any, answered the old man. That is a story cooked up by someone who never saw me. As a matter of fact, I move rather slowly. I see. You take your time, huh? Remarked uh, the boy. And how are you going to get to Kamchatka? Yeah, I know. That's a long way away. One Unless step it, at a time. Apparently, there is a town called Kamchatka in South Carolina, but I'm guessing that's not the one he's referring to. What do you use that side for? To mow down the people, <laughs> said the ancient one. <laughs> Just wait. Every time I swing my side, someone dies. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Then I ought to win a life-saving medal by keeping you tied up, said right? Jim. Yeah, right? Some folks will live this, some folks will live this much longer. But they won't know it, said Father Time with a sad smile. So it will do them no good. You may as well untie me at once. Or just steal his scythe. Ooh. Leave him tied up. And now you've got the run of things. But then, yes. And top of time won't be, so everybody will be frozen. Oh, yeah. Well, take his scythe. I suppose you can untie him. Let him run around. And then if he comes too close to you, swing scythe his scythe at him. Ooh. But then would the world implode? So many I possibilities. I suppose just nobody would die. You'd have to go around and you'd, you'd have to become the Grim Reaper. Yes, and start killing people. You just have to go around and start killing because people. Because overpopulation is a thing. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess at the, the, the rate that people are born and die, you'd have to be just like swinging that thing around. Mm-hmm. And you're dead, and you're dead, mm-hmm. and you're dead, and you're dead. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't want that responsibility. All right, let him go. No, said Jim, with it. a determined air. Yeah, I may never capture you again, so I'll hold you for a while and see how the world wags without you. Okay. Then he swung the old man, bound as he was, upon the back of the butcher's horse, and getting into the saddle himself, started back toward town, one hand holding his prisoner and the other guiding his reins. How does the horse move, though? Again, maybe because they're all connected to, like, physically connected to him. 
be. We'll see. We're about to see an interesting thing happening. Okay. When he reached the road, his eye fell on a strange tableau. A horse and buggy stood in the middle of the road, the horse in the act of trotting with his head held high and two legs in the air, but perfectly motionless. In the buggy, a man and woman were seated, but they had been turned into stone. They could not have been more still and stiff. Okay. So okay. so time really did freeze. Yes. Except for the horse and except Jim. for the horse and Jim. Yeah. There's no time for them, sighed the old man. Won't you let me go now? Not yet, replied the boy. He rode on until he reached the city where all the people stood in exactly the same position they were in when Jim lassoed Father Time. Stopping in front of a big dry goods store, the boy hitched his horse and went in. The clerks were measuring out goods and showing patterns to the rows of customers in front of them, but everyone seemed suddenly to have become a statue. There was something very unpleasant in this scene, and a cold shiver began to run up and down Jim's back. Oh, yeah, no one's moving. That's Yeah, they're all frozen. Horrific. So he hurried out again. On the edge of the sidewalk sat a poor, crippled beggar, holding out his hat, and beside him stood a prosperous-looking gentleman who was about to drop a penny into the beggar's hat. Jim knew this gentleman to be very rich, but rather stingy. Oh, so he ventured to run his hand into the man's pocket and take out his purse, in which was a $20 gold piece. This glittering coin he put in the gentleman's fingers instead of the penny and then restored the purse to the rich man's pocket. <laughs> All right. I like that. Yeah. I like that. It'd be tempting to go around and, and just pull juvenile pranks. Yes. I like that his pranks are like, are like all right, I'm going to do a little help, do a little good. Going to do some, going to be some Robin Hood. That donation will surprise him when he comes to life, thought the boy. <laughs> he mounted the horse again and rode up the street. As he passed the shop of his friend, the butcher, he noticed several pieces of meat hanging outside. I'm afraid that meat will spoil, he remarked. It takes time to spoil meat, answered the old man. This struck Jim as being queer, but true. It seems time meddles with everything, he said. Yes, you've made a prisoner of the most important personage in the world, groaned the old man, and you haven't enough sense to let him go again. Jim did not reply, and soon they came to his uncle's house, where he again dismounted. The street was filled with teams and people, but all were motionless. His two little cousins were just coming out of the gate on their way to school with their books and slates underneath their arms. So Jim had to jump over the fence to avoid knocking them down. Can you, can you imagine he knocks them, just not, knocking people over? And all these people are like, time starts that are all just like. Why did, why did I get here? Again, that would be the, the pranks that I would be tempted to pull is like move people so that they're suddenly like immediately face to face. So when time starts again, you go, um, like throw water into the air and presumably it would freeze as soon as you stop moving it. And then when time starts again, it's like, it's raining. What the, but I'm essentially an overgrown child. So that's how I would do things. Jim's an actual 12 year old and he seems more mature than me. Yes, that's true. Speaking from experience. No, (laughs) in the front room sat his aunt reading her Bible. She was just turning the page when time stopped. In the dining room was his uncle finishing his luncheon. His mouth was open and his fork poised just before it, while his eyes were fixed upon the newspaper folded beside him. Jim helped himself to his uncle's pie. (laughs) And while he ate it, he walked out to his prisoner. There's one thing I don't understand, he said. What's that? asked Father Time. 
Why is it that I'm able to move around while everyone else is froze up? There we go. Yes. It's not answering the horse question, but... That's because I'm your prisoner, answered the other. You can do anything you wish with time now, and unless you are careful, you'll do something you'll be sorry for. Jim threw the crust of his pie at a bird that was suspended in the air, where it had been flying when time stopped. Anyway, he laughed. I'm living longer than anyone else. No one will ever be able to catch up with me again. Each life has its allotted spam, said the old man. When you have lived your proper time, my scythe will mow you down. I forgot your scythe, said Jim, thoughtfully. Then a spirit of mischief, uh-oh, came into the boy's head, for he happened to think that the present opportunity to have fun would never occur again. He tied Father Time to his uncle's hitching post that he might not escape and then crossed the road to the corner grocery. Uh-oh. The grocer had scolded Jim that very morning for stepping into a basket of turnips by accident. So the boy went to the back end of the grocery and turned on the faucet of the molasses barrel. Oh no, molasses. I seemed very, I just was very distressed by the molasses. Do you have personal connection to molasses? No, I just, or it just... seemed like, I was like, oh no, molasses. Oh God. That'll make a nice mess when time starts. The molasses running all over the floor, said Jim with a laugh. There we go. Now you're getting into the spirit. Pull meaningless, senseless pranks. Mm-hmm. Oh, here we go. Get ready. All right. Um, you're going to have to look something up because I don't know what it is. Uh, a little further down the street was a barber shop, and sitting in the barber's chair, Jim saw the man that all the boys declared was the meanest man in town. He certainly did not like the boys, and the boys knew it. The barber was in the act of shampooing this person when time was captured. Jim ran to the drugstore and getting a bottle of mucilage, M-U-C-I-L-A-G-E. I'm thinking it's like cough syrup, because like mucinex. A viscous secretion or bodily fluid. Um, a polysaccharide substance abstra- uh, extracted as a viscous or gelatinous solution from a plant, roots, seeds, etc., used in medicines and adhesive. Okay, so um, probably adhesive. Or yeah, so some he 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 got a bottle of glue. Yeah. Okay, because here's what what he's gonna do. Uh, he returned and poured it over the ruffled hair of the unpopular citizen. Yes. Yep. Got a bottle of glue. Yeah. That'll probably surprise him when he <laughs> wakes up, thought Jim. Nearby was the schoolhouse. Jim entered it and found that only a few of the pupils were assembled, but the teacher sat at his desk, stern and frowning as usual. Taking a piece of chalk, Jim marked upon the blackboard in big letters the following words. Oh, don't be mean to teachers. Yeah. Every scholar is requested to yell the minute he enters the room. He will, he will also please throw his books at the teacher's head. Signed, Professor Sharp. Ooh. Rude. Yeah. Also, hey. like, maybe only two people would get to do it before he erased it. Oh, yeah. I'm so thinking, really not well thought out. I think he can catch on pretty quick. Um, also, listeners, don't throw books at teachers. They work hard. Don't throw books at anybody. Don't, don't throw books at it's anybody. It's a waste of books. Like, but books books are good. Teachers are good. Don't try to hurt books and teachers by throwing books at teachers. That ought to raise a nice rumpus, murmured the mischief maker as he walked away. On the corner stood Policeman Mulligan talking with old Miss Scrapple. Uh-oh. You know, old Miss Scrapple. With a name, with like, a name Scrapple. like Scrapple, <laughs> you're doomed. 
the worst gossip in town. There you go. Yep. Who Clearly all, we're taking a Dickensian mm-hmm. approach yes. to naming our characters. Yes, Professor Sharp, Miss Scrapple. Yep. Yeah. Who always delighted in saying something disagreeable, disagreeable about her neighbors. Jim thought this opportunity was too good to lose. So he took off the policeman's cap and brass button coat and put them on Miss Scrapple. While the lady's feathered and ribbon hat, he placed jauntily upon the policeman's head. <laughs> yep, yep. That's a good one. Yeah. That I like. The effect was so comical that the boy laughed out loud. And as a good many people were standing near the corner, Jim decided that Miss Scrapple and Officer Mulligan would create a sensation when time started upon his travels. <laughs> Then the young boy remembered his prisoner, and walking back to the hitching post, he came within three feet of it and saw Father Time still standing patiently within the toils of the lasso. He looked angry and annoyed, however, and growled out, Well, when do you intend to release me? I've been thinking about that ugly scythe of yours, said Jim. What about it? asked Father Time. Perhaps if I let you go, you'll swing it at me the first thing to be revenged, replied the boy. Father Time gave him a severe look, but said, I've known boys for thousands of years, and of course I know they're mischievous and reckless, but I like boys because they grow up to be men and people my world. Now, if a man had caught me by accident as you did, I would have scared him into letting me go instantly, but boys are harder to scare. I don't know as I blame you. I was a boy myself long ago when the world was new. But surely you've had enough fun with me by this time, and now I hope you'll show the respect that is due to old age. Let me go, and in return, I promise to forget all about my capture. The the incident won't do much harm anyway, for no one will ever know that time has halted the last three hours or so. All right, said Jim cheerfully. (laughs) Since you've promised not to mow me down, I'll let you go. But he had a notion some people in the town would suspect time had stopped when they returned to life. He carefully unwound the rope from the old man who, when he was free at once, shouldered the the scythe, rearranged his white robes, and nodded farewell. The next moment he had disappeared, and with a rustle and rumble, the roar of activity, the world came to life again and jogged along as it always had before. Jim wound up his lasso, mounted the butcher's horse, and rode slowly down the street. Loud screams came from the corner, where a great crowd of people quickly assembled. From his seat on the horse, Jim saw Miss Scrapple attired in the policeman's uniform, angrily shaking her fists in Mulligan's face, while the officer was furiously stamping upon the lady's hat, which he had torn off his head amongst the jeers of the crowd. As he rode, I know, I know. Smash a lady's hat. I know. Well, she's, You're the one wearing it, dude. She, I know. She's yelling at him, though. I don't know. As he rode past the schoolhouse, he heard a tremendous turtle of yells and knew Professor Sharp was having a, sharp, a hard time to quell the riot caused by the sign on the blackboard. Through the window of the barbershop, he saw the mean man frantically. He does, The mean man does not have a name. Have we noticed? Oh, yeah. He's just the mean man, in quotes. Through the window of the barbershop, he saw the mean man frantically belaboring the barber with a hairbrush while his hair stood up stiff as bayonets in all directions. And the grocer ran out of the store and yelled, fire, while his shoes left a track of molasses wherever he stepped. I don't understand the fire. Just molasses. Maybe hoping to get the attention of the fire department to help them come clean up or 
maybe he just freaked out and is a little dumb. Or maybe there's a fire. <laughs> or maybe there is a fire. Caused by something. Who knows? Jim's heart was filled with joy. He was fairly reveling in the excitement he had caused when someone caught his leg and pulled him from the horse. What are you doing here, you rascal? cried the butcher angrily. Didn't you promise to put that beast into Plimpton's pasture? And now I find you riding the poor nag around like a gentleman of leisure. That's a fact, said Jim with surprise. I clean forgot about the horse. That's the end of the story. This story should teach. Here's the here's the uh, the, the um, moral. <laughs> this story should teach us the supreme importance of time and the folly of trying to stop it. For should you succeed as Jim did in bringing time to a standstill, the world would soon become a dreary place and life decidedly unpleasant. That was a strange ending. Yeah, that was a very strange <laughs> ending. Interesting. Okay. Although, All in right, fairness, Frank, if I were running around with um, with Father Time mm-hmm. tied up behind me, I would probably forget about the horse. Too. Yeah. Riding a horse seems pretty mundane compared to I've kidnapped time. That's true. That yeah. is true. Those were fun. Yeah. I enjoyed that. Yeah. With with the exception of um the polar bear didn't need to get his skin back. Right. I'm yes. glad that the why can you move question was answered in the Father Time story. Yes. And I'm also confused by the fire at the store. I don't get that quite, but whatever. Is molasses flammable? No. It's like sugar. Yeah. It's like honey, but like darker. Like Yeah, uh, I think the guy is just dumb. Yeah. Or panicking. Yeah. Ah, something's wrong. Ah, fire. I don't think so, dude. Yeah. Can you imagine the fire department comes? They got their, like, the I suppose 1904, they've got their buckets. Yes, the bucket like parade. The, 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 the pump hose mm-hmm. thing that they have to do. And like, where's the fire? Here's the molasses, yeah. dude. You should have yelled as I did, molasses. <laughs> and then all of the kids would come and just eat it yes. up yes. with a spoon. Mm-hmm. I'll, I far better like that ending. Yeah. Good. Okay. So we've written, we have rewritten the endings yes. of two of L. Frank Baum's short stories. Uh, listener, which story endings did you like better, the original ones or ours? And can you explain why the molasses was on fire? Please help with that. Um, so one of the things we like to do at the end of every episode is uh, to give the listeners who have made it this far a chance to uh, send us a message with a little secret passcode. It's a lot of fun. We, we actually get a lot of responses. Um, I'm, I'm surprised how many people take the time to send us an email uh, or uh, shoot us a message on any of the social medias. Social media, just search for Campfire Classics. We're easy to find. The email is 5050artsproduction at gmail.com. 5050artsproduction is the production company that this um podcast falls under the umbrella of uh and it's usually something strange or funny that was said over the course of the episode was there a phrase that latched onto your memory something with the queen what is it called what's the bird seagull something the i don't queen, know the queen seagull being a hairdresser or something the queen like is that? a hairdresser yeah great the queen is a hairdresser yeah i like that so please respond uh the queen is a hairdresser that can either be in the body of the email or the subject or whatever. It just lets us know that you made it this far. Um, find us on the social medias. Oh, and remember that uh, we do have that 
strange calendar that got made for some reason uh, available for you to download. You can make a donation if you want. It's up on the Campfire Classics webpage. It is a monthly calendar for 2022, and it is a bunch of pictures of me in funny little Halloween animal ear thingies. Um, it's dumb, you need that, but you everybody need needs a little of canon animal ears Ken in their lives. It'll it's the perfect uh, holiday present. You can give it to someone that you hate. Christmas. No, <laughs> who you, who you think will be amused by me dressed up as a unicorn? Um, so check that out. Uh, if you decide to make a donation, we will be uh, giving um, half of the proceeds from that calendar to the World Wildlife Fund. Um, I was saying to the WWF, but people confused it for the other one about professional wrestling. We will not be making any donations to professional wrestlers. They don't need any money. Through this podcast. They're doing just fine. Uh, and I think that is about all we've got for the day. Do you have anything you'd like to say before we sign off? Uh, in the old times when wishes were still worked, when I think wishes, wishes still, still work, true. wishes still come true. I think, well, so if you're worried that your wishes won't come true, go to fairy hair NYC and our own Torin will get you some fairy dust that will help with your wish. Or adjust your wishes, adjust your expectations. Or, or adjust your expectations. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, on that sort of melancholy <laughs> little note. Uh, until next week, this has been Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. <laughs> my niece, in, um, I'm still recording. Cool. You can decide if you want to tell the story. Great. My, every year in, in not the pandemic, in, um, Brookfield Place downtown in Manhattan, they have these luminaries. It's a light installation that's above, and then there are all these boxes that turn colors, and then they have a couple of boxes down on the ground, and you put your hands on them, and you think of a wish, and you let it go when it's a color that you like, that you love of the colors, and then above, it changes all the colors, and you make a wish, and I brought my niece there. She must have been about five or six, five, probably five. And then we went up to... Um, there's a Hudson Eats up above. There's a, it's like a food court. Mm-hmm. And we went, she's like, I have to go to the bathroom, TT. Will you come, you know, take me to the bathroom? So I took her to the bathroom and she pooped. And this little child, how a child this small can have this much poop is <laughs> beyond me. Um, like she, when she was that little, she would need help. Like she would hold onto your hands. She just tried Squeezed. to poop. Yes. <laughs> so maybe she was four or five and uh, we get out and wash her hands and go out and she's like my wish came true <laughs> I was like what was your wish she's like I really needed to go to the bathroom so I wish to go to the bathroom oh my god so adjust your wishes that's amazing <laughs> let, let your wishes be something you can control and they right. will always come true yes All right. I love that. Well, that is absolutely making it in. In fact, I think uh, that was probably a false start on our outro music. And now, thank you listeners for sticking through that. Um, We'll see you next time. Bye. (laughs)